Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Hallelujah. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Samuel, verse chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Hallelujah. Verse 1. And uh, this actually pains me. Um, I don't like this chapter in the Bible. I don't like the title of my message. Because the title of my message is David's Defeat. And uh, those words don't sound like they even go together, do they? David's defeat. Think about that. When you think about David, what do you think about? King David, you think about all of the enemies around Israel who were surrounding Israel. They were all around them. And by the time David being, you know, with the Spirit of the Lord upon him, there weren't any enemies hardly left around Israel at that point. And uh, this particular chapter is the chapter that is um, contains the information that I'm sure if David were here today and he heard this read would be very humiliated by this. But I think there's something in here that God wants us to receive from this. So when you read this, just understand that this is a very unusual thing in David's life. And something that we need to understand. But the title of the message is David's Defeat. Listen very carefully. I'm going to read 27 verses, which I don't normally do. But I want you to understand this whole story. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go out to off to war. So what do the kings do in the spring? If David were a good king, he would do what kings do and lead his army right? David sent someone else. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged uh, Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, okay, so David remained in Jerusalem. Think about this. One evening, David got up from his bed He walked around on the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, how many know the Bible uses very sparingly? You know, it doesn't use the word very, very often, okay? But this woman was very beautiful, and she's bathing. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. How many know this is a mess? A very, very big mess and... David is one of my heroes in the Bible. And so, in some ways, I'm embarrassed the chapter's here. Because I don't want this episode to happen in one of my heroes' lives. (laughs) 
But yet it's here for a reason. The Bible says everything that's written in the Old Testament is for our benefit, for us to learn. It goes on. It says, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now, now just to fill you in here, this is her husband. Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Remember, he should have been there. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all the master servants. He did not want to go to his house. See how loyal this man is? David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, Haven't you come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander, Joab, and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. See how really loyal this man is? Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem, and the next, and that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among the master's servants and did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out on the front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. This is embarrassing. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the account... The king, this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. He may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they were they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerebesheth? Did a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall, so he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asked you this, then say to him, moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out and arrived. He told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us, came against us in the open. We drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's men died. Moreover, Uriah the servant is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead... She mourned for him after the time of mourning was over. David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done, listen to this very carefully. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would anoint this message. Lord, I pray that we would learn, Lord, today what you have for us in your word, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Now most people... When they think about David, they think about the giant that David killed. In fact, how many, when you think the name David, you think about Goliath? 
And you think about that battle. And uh, how much time have we spent from the pulpit? And uh, that's a great story. How many know it's an important story? In fact, when we think about David and Goliath, the entire army was afraid, but David was willing to stand up and fight. And uh, that story just gives us courage to stand up to the enemy. And so many times we look at that story and it gives us the courage to do the things that we need to do today to stand up to giants in our life. How many know that? So we spent a great deal of time trying to figure out, man, how big was that giant? How many have ever done that? You did the cubits and you figured it out and you tried to measure how big he was. You try to picture what the scene looked like. In fact, uh, when I went to Israel, we drove by the actual field where they believed it happened. They know exactly where the location is. And you could just look at that scenery and picture David and all the armies around him and how big the giant was. And But how many know David beat that giant? But there's a giant that David did not beat. How many know there's one that he did not beat? And we have no idea what this one looks like. How many know what the giant looks like that beat David? The one that defeated David. And see, this story makes me so angry because David should have never lost to this midget. In fact, I almost titled this sermon, David and the Midget. But I didn't want to be disrespectful. Because how many know David had defeated every uh, enemy that was around Israel? He had defeated everybody that stood up against the name of the Lord. He defeated all these battles and then he loses this one. Of all the battles, how did David lose this battle? You know, David eradicated Israel of all the giants in the land. There were no giants left after his mighty men came and fought. Yet David lost this battle. And so I'm thinking, even looking at the title, David's Defeat. And I think to myself, how in the world did he lose that? And I started thinking back, I've been a big boxing fan my whole life. How many can remember the day that Mike Tyson fought Buster Douglas? In fact, it's still considered one of the biggest upsets in the history of sports. Because of the fact that this is a very unusual thing. There are times where you see a heavyweight champion lose, but a lot of times their skills are starting to deteriorate. They're starting to go downhill a little bit, but usually it doesn't happen very often when they're at the height of their, of their skills. When they're literally, in fact, if you watched Mike Tyson in that period of time, he just destroyed every opponent. In fact, there were guys that were put in front of him that were much much better fighters than Buster Douglas. In fact, Buster Douglas was an unheard of fighter. The odds were stacked against him, uh, but just the right conditions had to happen for him to win that fight. In fact, I remember back, and I didn't look it up, but I remember one of his parents had passed away. For the first time in his life, he got in shape. For the first time in his life, his mind was right. And then not only does that all have to be right, how many know a lot of things have to be wrong with Mike Tyson? In fact, you could see things in his camp were starting to not be the same. He had changes in his management structure, his training structure. 
Um, he wasn't training like he used to train. He was starting to slip. Nobody could see it, but it was just ripe for an upset. And how many know this reminds me a little bit of this moment in David's life? How many know a lot of things have to go wrong for David to lose this battle? But David did lose this battle, and this is one of the upsets of the century. Like, let me give you a little breakdown of David, a record of his life. <clears throat> David's life, if you read from 1 Samuel chapter 16 to 2 Kings 2, I just want you to kind of look at how incredible David's life has been and where he's at in his life. David was anointed by Samuel. How many remember this part of David's life? David was anointed by Samuel. Samuel actually comes to his house. And this is a time that King Saul, who is the first king of Israel. How many remember King Saul? First king of Israel. And God had determined that Saul was no longer fit to be king. And so God was looking for the next king of Israel. And he said that he was going to a certain man's house named Jesse. And one of the sons of Jesse, he was going to anoint to be the next king of Israel. That's very unusual and very specific from the Lord. How many know that? This is miraculous. So he goes to his house and all of his brothers are there. David is not even represented among the sons of Jesse. David is out in the field. He's the youngest. He's the one that is the least likely. And how many know David is between the ages of 10 and 15 years old? So a 10 to 15 year old boy, God had already seen his heart was different. He said that David was a man after his own heart. David would sit in that field. And how many know David ended up being one of the greatest worshipers that has ever lived? David sat in that field, ministered to these sheep. He didn't have a whole lot of money, didn't have an important job, sat out there in the field and just worshiped God and loved God and had a heart for God. And he was 10 to 15 years old. And Samuel said, that's the one. And at 10 to 15 years old, he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Now, how many know that David would not become the king over Israel well, actually part of Israel until he was 30 years old. So at the age of 10 to 15 years old, he's anointed. David gives credit to the Holy Spirit who after that day allowed him to kill a bear and a lion with his bare hands by the anointing of the Holy Spirit after being anointed king. And then how many know, I want you to think about this. David throughout his entire twenties was a fugitive. Did you know this about David's life? How many knew this? David ran for his life almost his entire uh, 20s. He ran. He was a fugitive. Saul chased him. There was a manhunt. Uh, literally, the, Saul's military was looking for David all over the country. He was living in caves. He was living out in fields. Uh, he was f- running for his life. But David, you'd notice David had a heart for God. He loved God. He was learning to trust God. He was learning to stay close to God. He was learning to give credit to God for everything in his life. And then David becomes king at Hebron. And so for seven and a half years, he's not king over all of Israel, 
from 30 to 37, he's king over Hebron, which is part of Israel. And then for the next 33 years, he becomes king over all of Israel. So from the age of 30 to the age of 70, David is king over Israel. 33 years over Israel, seven over Hebron only. I'm just giving you some history here. It's a little laborsome to give the history, but I want you to know this. So when does this incident happen with Bathsheba? It happens right in the middle of David being king. David was 50 years old. And so David had served the Lord from sometime in his early teens, maybe 10 years old. David was very close to the Lord. David was poor. David didn't have a whole lot of money. David spent a lot of time with the Lord. David spent time with the Lord in caves and fields and ran for his life, trusted God, came into the kingdom, trusted God. For 35 years, David had been faithful to the Lord. And there was not a giant that could stand up to him. There was no giant that could stand up to David. How many think that it would have been very difficult for David to publicly deny the Lord? In fact, when the Philistines stood up and challenged the armies of Israel, how many remember that David said, uh, why are you letting this uncircumcised Philistine speak to the armies of God that way? How many know this was a bold person? There's nobody publicly that would have said that about David's God. There's nobody that publicly would stand up. There's nowhere that he would go that David would not fight for God. There's no giant that he wouldn't stand up to. But David was defeated one time. And you know, I can learn a lot about the wins that a person has in their career. In fact, Mike Tyson was undefeated. Nobody had beat him. Nobody, uh, he looked invincible. He looked like he could not be beat. And sometimes we focus all of our attention on all the wins. But how many know sometimes we've got to examine the defeat and we've got to figure out how was he defeated and what did this giant look like that defeated David? Because how many know There is not a description of this enemy that defeated him. This enemy is not your typical giant, is it? So let's begin to examine a little bit about this giant. This giant had a name. And the name of this giant was not Bathsheba. How many know that? Her name was Bathsheba, but the name of the giant that defeated David was not Bathsheba. It was called lust. And you say, well, man, how does this giant... And and what I'm getting at here is, church, we have a lot of battles that we fight on the inside. And these giants aren't as visible as some of the things we fight on the outside. And I was reading the news the other day, and um, I'm not going to say his name because it brings me no joy, but there was a mega church pastor who is very well known in pastoral circles. He's very well known in the music circles. One of the most famous names out there. And how many seen in the news that this person was arrested for drunk driving? Um, he was removed from his church several months ago because of the drunk driving. 
And one of the statements I read on that article this week was he said, you know what? People always ask me how I dealt with the stress of running the ministry. And he said, and this is your answer. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. But he said he's had trouble with alcohol. And he's trying to deal with the alcohol in his life. And how many know that some of these public giants that we fight, we're victorious over every one of them. But there are some giants that are destroying a lot of people that aren't visible or aren't out in the open. They're not people. They don't have names. They're things like depression. They're things like substance abuse. They're things like beating yourself up. They're things like uh, doubts and fears and anxiety. How many know these are real giants that have to be addressed? So as we begin to look at David, we, we say to ourselves, well, man, what happened with David? How did David lose? And we start to see very early on some symptoms that David has opened a door. <clears throat> In fact, when you go to Second um, Samuel chapter 5, it says, listen to this. So David, this is 2 Samuel chapter 5, when David comes to Jerusalem, establishes Jerusalem. It says, so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. So who established him as king over Israel? David knew it was the Lord. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Now here's something very interesting. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he'd come from Hebron. Why do you think the Lord put that in the record? How many can see that David left a door open and this little midget came in? Right? Say, well, how did David win? In fact, my wife had bought something recently. It was this little alligator, and when you put it in the water, he how, how much was 11 times? Oh, 600%. It's supposed to grow, take it out of the water, and then it shrinks back. Well, it didn't quite grow uh, to that size, but how many know this is what David just let in the door? This is a giant of David's own making. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says that there are three things... A king is not supposed to do. <clears throat> you can find in Deuteronomy seventeen fourteen. It says a king is forbidden to accumulate horses. He's forbidden to accumulate wives into himself. And he's forbidden to accumulate gold and silver. How many know that David did really well on numbers one through one and three? He was very careful. In fact, there's a story in Samuel where he refused to take horses to himself. In fact, there's another story where he refused to take the gold and silver he dedicated to the Lord. But how many know he was disobedient in just one little area? And all the kings on the earth, every king in the world, took extra wives into themselves. But God said, not Israel. You're not to do this. And how many know David was disobedient? And you say, well, man, how does this apply to me? 
Because there is a giant that is beginning to form here. When we're disobedient to the word of God, guess what happens? We allow this little thing to come in the door and it begins to grow. So David allows it and you're going to begin to see what this grows into. So as he lets this come into the door, I want you to look at some other behavior of David. Because these things don't just happen overnight. How many remember, in fact, I'll tell you one that happened many years ago. And I, as far as I know, he was, you know, um, we're back into the ministry. But how many remember many years ago, Jimmy Swaggart? And some of you that are my age or older remember how incredible uh, the program was that he had. In fact, everybody tuned into that program from all different backgrounds and watched the Bible study they'd have on TV. How many watched that? And uh, wrote some of the greatest commentaries. Uh, was one of the most brilliant people when it came to breaking down the Bible. I can remember giant crusades that he did. I can remember uh, casting out demons in some of those crusades. And uh, how many remember that he's very similar to David? I mean, a great singer, a great worshiper, a great scholar. But how many know this same little secret thing came into his life? And it brought the entire ministry down. How many remember that? And what God is doing is trying to help us strengthen our inner man. God's trying to help us avoid the trap of being beaten by these giants. How many know that depression will slip into your inner man? How many know anger will slip into your inner man? How many know jealousy will slip in to your inner man? Envy will, covet will, greed will. All of these things will enter in. And what God is using this defeat of David to do is make sure we win these battles. You say, but Chad, I'm fighting against the world. I'm fighting against these people at work. I'm fighting against all these evil forces that are around me. How many know that God wants us to live a pure life and have godly character? And so God doesn't want these things to grow in our life. And all of us have something that the enemy is trying to use to destroy our witness for the Lord. Hallelujah. So let's begin to look. Why does David at the age of 50, when don't you want to know this? Why at the age of 50 did David lose a battle? Hadn't lost a battle his whole life. I mean, David was undefeated. He lost, I mean, you don't hardly see a battle that David ever lost. One was he began to neglect his duty. How many can see that in the story? The kings go out to war in the spring. And for once in David's life, David says, I'm tired of fighting. I'm not going to do my job. I'm not going to do what God's called me to do. I'm just going to rest and be neutral. How many have ever done that in your life? How many have ever said, Chad, I'm weary. I don't want to fight anymore. I mean, no, David was safe as long as he was fighting. When David was a young kid, he was out there and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's wrestling wild beasts. How many see this? I mean, he had something to live for. He had something to get up for. David would get up and he would say, I am the protector of my sheep. Even though he was anointed to be king and could have died at the hands. You ever thought about this? You're anointed to be king. Why are you fighting wild lions? Does that make sense to you? 
David's going to be the next king of Israel, anointed by Samuel, and he's fighting wild lions with his bare hands. Don't you think he could just say, hey, eat the sheep, because I've got a more important job? Why is he fighting wild bears with his bare hands when he's anointed to be the next king of Israel? But how many know David had a mission? He was there to do a job, and that was to protect the sheep. And how many know God called him to be the protector of the sheep? Because God was preparing David to be over all of Israel. David was being prepared for a call, for a cause. So David was doing what God had called him to do. There was no ability for David to say, I'm going to sleep in today and not do my job as a shepherd. But here is David, all these years that went out with the army, David fought every enemy that God said to go fight, and now all of a sudden David has said, I'm not going to fight anymore. And some of us say, man, it would sure be nice if I weren't fighting. It'd sure be nice because I'm tired of fighting. How many ever just get to the point where you say, man, I'm just going to be neutral. I'm tired of fighting the world. I'm tired of fighting against sin. How many know that fight is how you know you're in the game? The minute you start fighting, you begin to neglect what God has called you to do. The second thing he did, David had a lot of idle time. And he say, man, I, you know what? I'm so busy doing things for God. I'm so busy taking care of my family. I'm so busy doing this. I'm so busy doing that. How many know there came a day when David wasn't busy anymore? You say, well, how did he do that? He just neglected everything. He just decided I'm not going to do anything. He just decided I'm going to get up today and I'm just going to walk on my rooftop palace and I'm going to enjoy being king for a little while. How many have ever thought, man, that's what I want to do? I'm just tired. And, and you know, the Bible says work while it is still day because night will come where you can't work anymore. And how many of you know God has called us to do the work of the Lord? And the minute we stop doing the work of the Lord, guess what happens? That little midget begins to grow how many know that David's neglect and David's idleness is what caused this thing to begin to grow into a giant? David's growing his own giant. Can't you see that? He's feeding it. He's growing it. It's growing into something. And that's going to be the only thing that can defeat him. <clears throat> What's another thing David does? He succeeded. He finally arrived. How do you think it felt for David to stand in the palace And look across. Remember when David was in his early 20s. Or late 20s and and 30 years old. How many know he overtook the Jebusites to take the city? The city didn't even exist as a Jewish city until David destroyed the Jebusites. And planted the city of David there. Right? David subdued the Philistines first and all the enemies that were around. David... uh, Because God called him to take care of Israel, God established him, and God did everything through David, through the power of the Holy Spirit. David acknowledged it, but how many think that that's success? David stood on that rooftop, and I bet there was something inside of David saying, look what I built. Look what I built. But what's amazing is, as a shepherd, David was loyal to the Lord. He was running for his life. From Saul, he was loyal to the Lord. He was fighting those battles as a young king. He was loyal to the Lord. But when he got material things, he quit seeking the Lord. 
success is what we're all trying to achieve. And we say, God, won't you give me success? Won't you give me success? Won't you give me success? How many know sometimes the best place you can be is serving the Lord? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hallelujah. So David's success. How about David's pride? How many think these are contributing factors to why David was able to fall? How about David's arrogance? How about David's neglect of his spiritual life? You say, what does that mean? David loved the house of God. David was writing Psalms. David was very devoted to the Lord. But this is a period in David's life where he's not nearly as close to God as he was in the rest of his life. He was neglecting his spiritual life. How many of you know you can neglect your spiritual life, you can forget all about God, and you can, you can say, look at all the good things I'm doing. How many of you know you can do a lot of good things and not even have God in your life? You can do religious things and not even have God in your life. You can do lots of things and forget all about God because those things replace God. And so David gets into a point in his life where he's neglected his spiritual life. He's neglected his duty. He's neglected the work of the Lord. He's neglected all these things. And he's 50 years old and he's standing on the roof and he's just looking around at all the things he has. And so David is ripe for a defeat. Let's look at the power of this giant. And let me ask you as I go through here, did the giant named Goliath have this power? How many know that this enemy that defeated David had the ability to defeat his mind? It had the ability to defeat his mind. You say, well, how is that? Because David had decided in his mind, I'm not going out with the armies. He decided in his mind, I'm going to stay in bed. He decided in his mind, I'm going to walk on the rooftop. He decided in his mind, I'm going to watch this girl. He decided in his mind, he's going to do something that was disobedient to God. All of these things. How many know Goliath never had that power over him? So who's the bigger giant? Who's the bigger enemy? The one that's physical? The one that's in front of him? The one that you can see? The one that's in this world? Or the one that's in his heart? And so church, we got to rethink who the bigger enemy is. The second thing, it had the ability to defeat his reasoning. How many have ever reasoned in your mind? This enemy of lust that he allowed into his life, how many know it was able to begin to change his reasoning? How many have ever done that? You look just long enough. I mean, no, that's what the enemy does. He has you look at something for a little bit. He said, Eve, hey, come over here and look at this. And she looked at it and saw that it was good. And how many know that's how the enemy works? The enemy takes something and he says, hey, look at it. And he starts destroying your mind. And then you begin to reason and you say, well, man, you know, maybe God didn't know what he was talking about. You know, maybe... uh God says this is disobedient. How many have ever held anger in your hand? And you said, oh man, I can just lay into those people. Yeah, I can be angry. I deserve to be angry. I have a right to be angry. 
Anger is my, it's, it's my right. How many have ever reasoned like that? How many have ever had envy or how many have ever coveted or how many got greedy or how many ever, how many know these are big enemies? How many have ever allowed depression, self-pity? And how many know these are giants that are just going to grow and they're going to try to overtake you? They're going to try to destroy you. And so here, here they're growing in our hearts and they're becoming more and more powerful and we're not doing anything to stop it. We're not strengthening our inner man through the word of God. We're just allowing this enemy to get bigger and bigger and bigger. How many have ever let doubts grow in your mind? Man, I doubt that God even loves me. I doubt that God's even called me. I doubt that God even wants me to be used today. How many have ever let the enemy do this? And that enemy just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Man, you think Goliath was big? Just think how big some of these enemies are in our hearts. <clears throat> and so you're reasoning. Goliath never played mental games. How many know that? In a boxing match, there are mental games sometimes. Sometimes you can beat a guy before you ever walk in the ring just by the way you stare at him when you walk in. How many know that? Goliath didn't play a lot of mental games. But how many know this enemy that's in your heart can change your reasoning? You can say, well, man, that sounds perfectly reasonable. How many know this enemy overtook David's reason? David says that sounds very reasonable to call somebody's wife, bring her to the palace, impregnates her, and then he even went further than that. How many know this was pretty bad? And here's a really big one. This enemy was able to defeat his faith in God. David trusted in God. David was obedient to God. That was one thing God loved about David was his obedience. How many know that David was able by this enemy to be able to talk, be talked out of his obedience to God, his faith in God? How many think that there was any enemy in the land at that time that could have done that? Do you think there's any enemy that could have came and intimidated David and say, hey, you need to turn your back on God? No, but this one could. This one caused David to turn his back on God, turn his back on the commands of God. How many know that David came back to the Lord later crying because he just wanted God to be close to him again? How many know this enemy talked David out of his faith in God? David struggled with his faith and David was, went through a very difficult time. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. It says, for we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. It sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How many know that your giants in your heart are trying to overtake you today? They're trying to change your faith, trying to change your mind, trying to get you to back away. And sometimes we don't pay any attention to those things that are going on in our heart. The last part. 
What did this giant cause David to do? Do you remember how loyal and how faithful David was? Remember how David was a man after God's own heart, a man who would stand up to any enemy, a man who loved to worship, a man who loved to spend time in God's presence, a man who did all these things, but there was one enemy that beat him. And I told you that one enemy was able to um, um, get him to totally turn his back on the, uh, the commands of God. Listen to what else it did. It led him to be a deceiver. Let me know that after David tried, David gave in to this giant. David was defeated by this giant. How many know that David changed? David now became a deceiver. He went forward and he said, hey, why don't you go and lay with your wife tonight? You see what this enemy had the power to do? Took a really good man, a man that was after God's own heart, a man that could defeat any enemy, a man that would stand up to anybody. And because he let this thing grow in his heart, now he's on the path to deception. You see this? How the enemy could wreck any one of us. How many know if he could do this to David, he could do it to any of us? How many know we have to be on guard? We have to know the weapons of our warfare. We need to know how the enemy fights. We need to know where the enemy battles. We need to know how to wear the armor of God. We need to know how to every day spend time in the presence of God and say, God, what is there in me that the enemy is trying to use to defeat me with? Is it depression? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? How many know all these things are thoughts that need to be taken captive? How many know these are enemies that need to be destroyed? How many know these are giants that will exalt themselves before the living God? And they're bigger than the giant that he faced in the field. They're bigger than the world that's against us. They're bigger than the problems of the world. There's things inside of us that the enemy will use to try to destroy your walk, your call, your faith. And God is saying, hey, be aware that there are giants here. That's why this story is in here. Because David was invincible with the Spirit of God upon him. But this was his only defeat. And it was a big one. It also took him down a road of destruction. How many know that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy? You know how much good David brought to Israel? You know how many things David did for God? I mean, it's so unusual for a king to be like David was. But how many know David became a destroyer? Could Goliath ever do that? But this giant not only defeated him, but now he's a deceiver, now he's a destroyer. And number three, it led David to depression. How many know that David... The child that she bore ended up dying. David went through a long depression. God was crying out to God in the Psalms, God, will you please restore my joy of my salvation? I mean, oh, David went through a long period of depression. And you say, well, Chad, how did all of this start? Because David defeated every enemy that was ever put in front of him. But there was one growing inside of him that he could not beat because he did not take it to the Lord. 
He didn't put it in, he didn't uh, fight with the weapons of warfare that God has provided for us to win this battle. I mean, no, the, we- the, the battle inside, uh, the battleground of the mind sometimes is bigger than what's out in front of you in the world. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Worship team. How many know that there are a lot of people in the church that are fighting battles on their own? They're fighting depression. They're fighting anxiety. They're fighting worry. They're fighting stress. They're fighting all these giants in their life. And and, and nobody knows it. In fact, we look at them. Everybody looks like they're doing well. How many know, church, this is a hospital? This is a place where we come and the Bible says pray with one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. How many know, church, we can't hide these things that we struggle with anymore? We can't just go on and say, hello, how are you doing? How many know, if I know that there are people in the ministry that are struggling with these giants, how many think these are giants? How many think these are big things? How many think shame? guilt, fear, doubt, all these things. And church, we got to begin to call them out. Just because they don't have a name doesn't mean we can't call them out. Hallelujah. How many know Goliath had a name? Goliath's brothers had a name. You could call them out and you could say, hey, let's go fight Goliath. But how many have ever said, hey, let's go fight fear? How many know fear stands on the hill bigger than Goliath and you're going to sit your whole life with fear and never going to do anything for God because nobody ever confronted fear. And church, I got to tell you, we got to start saying, hey, I'm afraid. Hey, I'm stressed. Hey, I have anxiety. How many know these enemies are holding you back? These enemies are standing in the field just like Goliath. You say, well, Chad, I'm struggling with lust. How many know we need to call that out, church? There's, There's shame, there's guilt, there's fear, there's doubt. And church, we got to begin to call them by name. we got to begin to bind together. We've got to begin to fast for a brother or sister. we got to begin to call that out in this community. How many think that there is substance abuse in this community that is, that is causing people, uh, they're, they're dying. And nobody's calling that name out. Nobody's standing up against addiction. How many think addiction is a bigger giant than some of the things we see in this world? You say, well, Chad, I'm fighting globalism. I'm fighting a political battle. I'm fighting these people at work. Well, how many know we need to start fighting some of these internal battles? We need to start having prayer meetings where we say, hey, Chad, what do I do about anxiety? You know, what do I do about grief? What do I do about these things in church? We need to get back to the altar. How many know that? When I was growing up, we would sit at the altar and we would just pray for hours and hours and hours and somebody would say hey break that power of stress break that anxiety how many have had so much stress you couldn't sleep at night how many had so much anxiety that it made you feel like you were going to have a heart attack how many know those are demonic powers that are holding you back how many have had so much fear you felt like you were going to have a panic attack church we need to start calling that out with one another we got to quit hiding it. we got to quit hiding it. If you're struggling with that today, find a place up here. Let's pray together. Find a place at this altar. Yes, Margie. Hallelujah. I think a lot of it is because 
so many in the church have bought the lie that it's not you're not a good Christian if you have any of these problems. You're not you you, you should have more faith. And the church many in the church have experienced that. I mean, I had a uh, I met in a small group with a with a couple and the wom- the woman dealt with um, depression and you know mental problems and so many people had said well if you just had more faith you would you wouldn't have that and said that to her husband you know that that if you had more faith your wife wouldn't have a problem like that and so we've we've buried those things for fear of condemnation from our brothers and sisters. That's awesome. Anybody else have a testimony or something they'd like to share in that area? Here's the problem. If you're, stu- if you're struggling like David was with lust, how many think that David probably couldn't bring that to very many people? And if you're struggling with stress, anxiety, lust, all these things, where do you go with it, church? If you, can't, if you can't get people to pray with you at church and you say, well, man, I struggle with it every week. Let's pray every week. I struggle with it every day. I struggle with anger. I struggle with fear. I struggle with anxiety. How many can say that? In church, what are we doing? We're walking in saying, hello. How are you? Fine. I'm doing good. And it looks like we're winning still fighting we're fighting alone hallelujah anybody else this morning anybody need prayer hallelujah let's gather around our brother over here anybody that needs prayer this morning how many of you know the Lord we can beat this giant these giants are beatable David it makes me so mad that he lost this battle because David didn't need to lose that battle hallelujah well let's gather around everybody let's be a family Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I pray your anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else this morning? Any prayer? Anybody? Something the Lord was showing me this morning, I think we all need to hear, this is, you know, that the enemy speaks in our ear. All of us, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith for that. And so then we we try to measure our faith against what we perceive to be somebody else's and we come up wanting. Faith is a gift from God. Faith belongs to God. We only need a mustard seed. So when the enemy comes to you and says, puts that doubt in your mind, oh, you don't have enough faith to do that, you know, something you're feeling led to do or whatever, just look to the Lord because he's the one who's the source of our faith. We don't have to drum it up. And... uh, Church, how many know that the Bible says when we come together, everybody should have a gift? 
Everybody should be hearing from the Holy Spirit. Everybody should have a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit gives severally as He wills. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the long time we couldn't figure out, we would pray and we'd say, why don't people go to the altar anymore? Why don't people come up and be prayed for anymore? And so I guess we're just going to have to bring the altar out to you guys. Because, church, we need to we need to be... We need to be in the Spirit all through the week. And we need to be praying, God, what have you given me as a gift for this body? We know the gifts are for the body. It's The gift is, your gift is to minister to this body. And it might be a word of encouragement. It might be a word of correction. It might be a word of rebuke. It might be a word of prophecy. And all those things are good things. But how many know we've all got to hear from the Holy Spirit? We've all got to be in the presence of the Lord because these hidden giants are everywhere. How many think that everybody in here has giants that are yelling at them like Goliath yelled at those armies? And he's saying, you'll never win this. You'll never win this battle with depression. You'll never win this battle with anxiety. You'll never win this battle with stress. You'll never win this financial battle. You'll never win this battle of addiction. You'll never win this battle in church. We have got to get back to the altar. If we don't experience the goodness of God, how can we tell them? If we don't experience, how can we tell them? We must experience the goodness of God. And that's through the gifts. That's through the gifts. How's God going to tell them unless somebody speaks, the Bible says? You say, well, that's your job. Say, it's been my job for too long. I can't fulfill that job. The body's got to fulfill that job. Hallelujah. We got to get back in God's presence. We got to tarry until we're endued with power again. We got to learn to get around the altar, spend time in His presence. You say, well, man, why aren't they interested in being here? Because we're not interested in being here. They're not interested in being here because we're not interested in being here. <laughs> I'll say that again. That sounds good. It's, it's terrible, though. And as, and as much and as upsetting as it is for David to be defeated, it's even worse to see us be defeated. We shouldn't be defeated. We shouldn't be beat by the enemy. We shouldn't be losing these battles when God's called us to win these battles. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have called us, Lord God, to be victorious. Lord, you called us to be a praying people, Lord. Father, I pray that the expectation would be of your people that we're going to go to the house of prayer. And Lord, that we're going to have somebody that's going to pray for us. We're going to have somebody that's going to speak over us. We're going to have somebody that's going to love us. We're going to have somebody that's going to help us bear our burdens. We're going to have somebody, Lord, that's going to love us. Oh, Father, right now, I pray that you do a work in your body, Lord. Lord, you said that they would know us by the love we have for one another. Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, as everybody withdraws, even now, still from COVID, Lord, that you do the opposite in your church, Lord, but you begin to withdraw us together. Lord, we begin to seek you like we never have before, Lord God. We begin to address 
for these struggles that we have openly. And Father, just begin to do a work today, Lord God. Begin to do a work in your church, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God.